to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Welcome to the show, Adam. How are you doing and where are you recording from today? I am on the south coast of England, uh, which is in a town called Brighton, so... Just grab hold of London, draw a line down until you hit the sea, and that's Brian. Awesome. So today you're going to share with us some tips on automating sales process and closing more deals. So, yeah. So I'm interested. You're the CEO and founder of Better Proposals. How did Better Proposals come about? Um, well, we ran a software company and were constantly sending out proposals in the old school method of butcher it to death in Microsoft Word or Pages and then save it as a PDF and send it and hope for the best. And we really just got to a point where I, you know, the values of them were, were getting higher and higher and it was a bigger deal whether we won them or not. So I just said to our development team that I wanted something web-based with some sort of basic tracking on them so I could see uh, what they looked at and, and that kind of stuff. So that's exactly what we did. We built that as an internal tool. And what was really interesting is over a period of about 18 months, um, people started buying the software that we were selling. And then they were saying, look, can you get that thing built in for us as well? So we sort of just spent the entire time just, just integrating this internal tool we've made for ourselves as a sort of a customized tool for, for our customers. And we just sort of got to a point one day where we said, okay, look, let's just throw this thing, throw a landing page together, um, put some ads up for something roughly related to proposals and see what happens. And what happened was that we got more leads in a 24-hour period for what is now better proposals than we had in the previous 12 months for the other business. So we thought, ah, okay, <laughs> that's our uh, be smart enough to know we're getting lucky moment. Um, so we made the decision at that moment to transition to running the sort of software consultancy into running better proposals full-time. And we've been doing that now for the last four years. Awesome. So you shared a bit about the launch. So how did you get your first, let's say, 100 customers? Um, well, actually, most of it was just cold email. Um, we didn't have like a list or anything to really um, start with or anything. We didn't do like a big pre-launch thing. There was no product hunt back then. Um, we literally just, I just went through, uh, what did I do? I, went out, I literally just went on Google and just typed in um, web designer London and just went through every single result of an agency that I could find, found the CEO or creative director or salesperson or whatever it was on the website and just sent them an email. Sent them pretty much the same stuff, but tailored it a bit. Um, I think we did that for about six months. And yeah, that got us about our first sort of hundred customers. Then started doing a little bit of paid stuff, and um, yeah, that was that was pretty much that was pretty much it. It just all all sort of took off from there, really. And when it took off, were you bootstrapped, or did you have other funding sources to help with you know the cost of advertising, or some may say the investment in advertising and building out the team and and adding other features to the original idea. Um, so no, no funding, and never will. Um, heavily against, um, heavily against it. Fully believe that a business like this can be bootstrapped and probably should be. Um, part of that is that you get good at spending money, not making it, and that's that's sort of fundamentally our belief with it. So 
Um, no, completely bootstrapped, um, been profitable since day one. Um, the initial investment, if you like, was myself and my co-founder Spring working on the product to physically build it. Uh, but once we once we kind of got to that point, um, we were just selling something we already had. So it was all just a case of iteration, building in checkout processes, adding new features. Um, yeah, it was very much very much based on that. Um, I think this, I think the thing with the the difference between the the bootstrapping and, and getting funded is you when you're funded you don't need to worry so much about anything you you can kind of just if if something needs solving you can just throw money at it because you've got it to spend and you've kind of got to get rid of it anyway whereas when you're bootstrapped you've got to really consider every different um, or every decision. So are we going to build this feature? What direction is that going to take us in? Who's that going to alienate? Who's going to really like it? And you really start to consider these things. So you slow things down. You take your time. You make proper, informed, educated decisions. And then you're fully committed to them. And you get everybody on board and you keep going. Um, in terms of growing the team, um, it's only really actually this year that we've really sort of built a proper team out. Um, Sabrina and I ran this thing practically by ourselves. Uh, literally... Well, until about 18 months ago, which is when we took on our first um, member of staff, who uh, was Petra, the person who set this up for us. Um, she's our first member of staff, and she joined 18 months ago. So it's amazing how far you can go on your own without needing to build a team. That's awesome. And I was excited to hear you mention that you were profitable since really the origin. I'm always interested in understanding how business owners stay on top of their finances. So have you got a, a team, an internal team in place and uh, to handle and keep tidy your accounting? What tips or tools do you use to help manage that within better proposals? So fortunately, being a SaaS business, so much of it is automated. Um, in fact, I can't think of too much that isn't. Um, it's, it, you know, we are just super lucky in that way. And because of the volume of customers, you know, being, what, nearly 9,000 customers now, um, you can't have any of that manual because if you just lose track of it within, by the end of the day. So um, we made a decision early on that we were not going to have any manual components to our finances. So um, we use um, we use Xero. To um, that's our sort of core accounting platform. We use that. That's what accountants use. So all our traditional accounting is done is done through there. Um, and then yeah, all of the all of the reconciliation um, all comes from Stripe. That's our payment processor. And unfortunately, those two talk to each other quite nicely. And uh, uh, life isn't too complicated. You have to press OK on nine thousand reconciliation lines every single month so fortunately that works out in our favor but if it didn't we would absolutely do something to make sure that it was completely automatic because there's no way you can handle that manually absolutely and it just gives you the time to focus on those things that matter most in your business so i wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about sales so adam what are your top let's say three tips for closing more deals Closing more deals. Okay, so the first thing is doing a good discovery process. If you sell a service of any description um, and you're not literally selling the same thing over and over again, think like, you know, a tin of beans or something from the supermarket, um, then you need to be doing some sort of discovery. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not, you know, that discovery could be really simple. It could be two, three questions, but you need to be doing something. If you're not doing that, you're never going to put yourself in a position 
where you can understand exactly what the person you're trying to sell to is trying to achieve or what problems they're facing or you know what fears they have or what emotions they're feeling around the problem that they've got so without a good discovery you're going in completely blind so if you ever have a situation where you're having a conversation with someone it sounds like a great conversation and then they're like great send me a proposal but you haven't really gathered all the details and then you send it you're flipping a coin on whether you're going to get that or not because you're certainly relying on something else you're not relying on on your your own sort of ability to um be able to sort of break down exactly what it is they're trying to do so always do some good discovery and you know if this is a new concept to you just you know search you know needs analysis discovery processes that kind of thing google and just get get yourself sort of acquainted with that concept because without that uh you're completely flying blind um second thing um i would say is to make sure that you have empathy with the person you're selling to so this largely comes from uh, the first thing which is making sure you're doing a good discovery but you know having empathy is, is really just understanding really where they're coming from so not not kind of the surface level stuff but the deeper stuff so you know okay somebody might come to you and say right we want more leads on our website okay cool that's you could take that at face value if you wanted um or you could dig, dig deeper and try and find out the real reason that they're trying to do that um and often what you'll find is that it's not often the surface level reason which is we want more money or whatever um there's you know there's tons of examples in my you know previous sort of life as a web design agency owner um and you know we would go in and people would say we want more leads we want more this we want more that like what why i mean you could just do this one thing and you would improve your conversion rate and that would be good why do you want more leads and it turns out that they were selling their company right so they wanted all of their numbers to look better even if they didn't materialize Hmm, interesting (laughs) so all of this stuff starts to when you understand that the whole proposition that we were pitching at the time changed because we were like okay well instead of being you know somebody that's going to help you get more leads we're going to help you facilitate the sale of your company in the digital form so it changed the whole thing um so bear that in mind the reasons that people give you on the surface are not necessarily the reasons that are true um always dig deeper always ask why um and i think the last thing is is actually just ask for it tell them what to do tell them exactly what the next steps are the amount of proposals i've seen over the years where there's a bunch of information some of it's good some of it's bad and there's just no instructions on what to do next. You're just supposed to guess, and it's really strange. So if you do, if you take nothing from this, just add a section to your proposals whenever you send them called next steps, and just make that a really simple uh, page with very clear instructions on how to buy from you. So you know, think about instructions on how to use a toy, something like really basic English. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it confusing it's just dead simple stuff and that you'll find that the proposals will be far better received i would think awesome so utilizing a proposal software really helps drive some automation into a sales process so could you share with our listeners what to you is sales automation and what are some examples of common sales automations being used by those small businesses that you're partnered with and working with so i think the term sales automation gets kicked around quite a lot and i think it's one of those strange terms where i don't think it it really um is what it sounds like it is i mean 
we have a completely automated sales process because nobody needs to contact further proposals in order to buy. It's completely online, you know, an e-commerce platform. Again, that sales automation, that's completely, an, it's a completely automated sales process. But if, if you're an agency owner or you're a consultant or a coach or something like that, you have to ask yourself the question before you say anything, oh, what can I automate here? Because is somebody going to come along and buy your coaching or your design services or you know, your development services or whatever it is without speaking to you, without having any interaction with you whatsoever? Probably not. It's probably going to require some part of you to do something as the expert and as the sort of consultative part of the of the process. So what part is going to be automated? And that's that's really the question. So that's where a tool like Better Proposals comes in. Of course, there's other things out there and there's other stuff that you can use to do similar things. But you know, when you think about sales automation, what is it that you need to automate? So my perspective on this is you want to automate the things that a computer can do either better than you or as well as. Or when there's a trade-off there, it's better to just let the computer do it. Um, but perhaps a better way to look at it is what do you do best as a human that a computer can't do? And that's care. It's understand. It's think. It's have that empathy. So you know, if you do that and you think, okay, well, I'm going to do that bit and I'm going to spend 80% of my time on, in my sales process connecting with my customers, connecting with my clients, thinking about them, understanding their situations, understanding their fears, thinking about their goals, their problems, the solutions, all of that kind of stuff, and then detailing that, and then just think, what system can I use to just handle the rest? That's probably the better way to think about sales automation, I would have said. So, you know, really just think, what are you best at? And then just guess, find a system or a solution to handle the rest of it. Um, and then you're not going to end up spending a crazy amount of time, you know, weakening the part that you're good at by trying to do something that, you know, isn't really your bag anyway. Absolutely. So if I'm effective at closing deals on one-on-one Zoom calls, as an example, it's probably best to use sales automation on those things like arranging the schedules and identifying times that are accommodating for people to meet and letting the automation work through the scheduling, utilizing tools like Calendly or integrations into Zoom to handle that administrative piece, but allowing myself the time to dig into the research, the discovery, to understand really who I'll be speaking with and perhaps utilizing a survey that can pop up to better qualify these in that discovery phase yeah i think that's all that, that's all good stuff and i think you know anything along those lines where you're just thinking okay what am i good at what systems can i get in to help me do the heavy lifting for stuff i'm not quite so good at you know if you were improving a house for instance you would think oh you know i'm quite good at painting but i'm not so good at tiling so i'm not going to bother doing the tiling and pay a painter i'll just do the painting myself pay a tiler and the end result will be better so it's um it's a lot of it is just that it's like everybody's different you know you have to think about your own weaknesses your own strengths and then just kind of go from there um but don't be afraid to spend money on these tools to help fill in the gaps so that you can operate at your best because they're almost always worth every penny so i'm also interested in in your opinion i've heard two schools of thought where you may be on a one-on-one discovery call and the the opportunity presents itself to close the deal right then and there. 
uh, our process at Bee Ninjas is that we suggest as a next step uh, that we will provide a proposal via better proposals, and they'll have the opportunity to review terms and conditions and, and the like, the investment that they'll be making in the services that we've discussed, um, and follow up with a proposal. I'm interested in your thoughts around, is it more effective? Is there any difference around closing the deal on the spot as opposed to sending the follow-up proposal? So I think that the way that you're doing it is really good. I think the idea of doing the, you know, having a review call to actually go through the proposal with them is is a really, really smart move. Um, and if you're not doing this already, you, you know, you're listening to this, you, you really should be. So a simple way to do this, by the way, is send them the proposal. But before you do that, schedule the review call before you've actually sent it. Um, if you can't do it live with them on the, on the phone or over Zoom, um, then just schedule that call in advance of sending the proposal. That's a much cleaner way of dealing with it. That avoids a lot of chase and follow up. Um, but yeah, I think it's, um, it, Look, let's just take a scenario, right? So you're on the phone to somebody, you're not going to bother sending them a proposal. You'll only do it if they ask. But, you know, if you can close them there and then, then you will. What, you know, if, if you've got all of your contract services and everything set up and you've got everything ready for them to sign and all the rest of it on the spot, great. That sounds like a really confusing phone call. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that live. Um, I mean, if you've got all that set up and you can prep it all in advance, then, you know, and you're, really good on the phone then maybe um but i think the the biggest issue that i think you'll have in that situation is buyer's remorse so i think when you have a lot of deals falling out of bed when they're sort of almost pressured into doing it personally it's not my style i'd far rather have a slightly lower conversion rate with happier customers that have made a considered decision to buy from me than have people that are kind of sort of not forced but gently shoved in the right direction or what I consider to be the right direction um, and then have people sort of reluctantly paying for things because all that's going to do is it's just going to increase things like chargebacks and bank and your disputes and you know, lots of potentially unhappy customers and it's it's just that I feel it's a much better way just to give them the ability to say no that's as, that's as much um, that's as much value in that as there is giving them the chance to say yes because what you're actually after really is a filter. So if you imagine your future business with, you know, you're completely full and you can't take on any more work and you look at your client list, those people should be amazing people. They should be awesome businesses with crazy core projects and you should be doing your best work for them. That's what the ultimate is, right? So anybody that comes in that is not going to contribute to that in the future, why would you want to sell to them anyway? So I, w- I would always give them the opportunity to say, to say no and do that in a way that they're comfortable with, but obviously give them all the good reasons to say yes as well. And I think you shared really detailing out the next steps. I think for us, it helps us move them into the next phase, which is our onboarding phase, where because those expectations are made clear in our proposal, there's less of the back and forth during that onboarding around providing the clarity on what our expectations are for them to participate as in our service, it's very collaborative. We need you to share with us certain pieces of information at certain times in order for us to meet the expectations that we've committed to within the proposal. Yeah, exactly. And I think also that's that's another really, really good point, and that's making sure that people feel comfortable with what's going on. Um, the, um, 
you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I think you can make in your proposal is by not actually explaining what's going to happen. So what you'll find is that you'll just get radio silence, then people won't buy from you and whatever. But what's really happening is they're sitting there reading this thing going, okay, cool, what do you want me to spend this money on? And they're reading it and going, okay, uh, all right, I don't, I don't, I feel like I know what's going to happen here. So like, okay, so, so I buy this and then what? We just suddenly magic this service out of thin air? Like that doesn't sound right. Like, it starts to create all this doubt and doubt and confusion does not really result in people getting their credit card out. So, um, you know, you always want to make sure that you're just having that empathy and, and thinking about them and thinking about how they're going to be feeling reading this proposal, going through it, whether you go through it with them or whether you send it to them, um, for them to go through their own time, either way, they're going to have these questions. They're going to be doubting things. They're going to be uh, pessimistic about stuff, especially if you're making bold claims. You know, we all should. We all should be doing that because it forces us to step up and deliver. But at the same time, people are going to be skeptical. And there's more people getting ripped off now than probably ever before because the barrier to entry into business is so low. So bear that in mind. If you are a serious player, you have been around, you are good and at what you do, then you have to do sort of even more to get in over and above the people that, you know, are sort of on that lower rung in on your on your level. So, you know, being clear, being concise, listing out expectations, detailing a process, you don't have to go too mad with it, but you want to let people know where they are. You know, how many, you know, if there's seven steps to sort of um you know, achieving this end result, we'll just detail what they are and a, and a quick sentence underneath to to explain, you know, what's involved and how long it's going to take and whatever. It just, it calms people's sort of feeling down and anxiousness around this kind of stuff. And, you know, long term, it'll make a big difference to your close rates on your proposals when you do send them. So you've shared a bit about best practices and tips. Could you share a bit about Proposal Writing University? I'm interested. How does it work? And how did you validate that there was a need in the market for this? So Proposal Writing University um, is essentially just a free video course that we created for um, anybody that wants to learn more about how to write proposals better. So we have two. We have Proposal Design University and Proposal Writing University. Um, design obviously handles all the design, you know, which colors to use and how to do it and things like that. As obviously specific to our platform. Proposal Writing University is a little bit more general in the sense that you could use the information uh, sort of anywhere. Um, but it really just breaks down like which sections you should have in your proposals and how you should present your information. If you're ever sitting there in front of your computer going, well, what do I say? How do I say it? This is all answered. So it just gives you a structure of, I mean, I don't want to say fill in the blanks because it makes it sound, you know, too... It's, it's not really what it is, but it's probably the closest thing you're going to get without anybody sort of physically writing something for you. But it's a full start-to-finish guide on, on improving um, on writing proposals. So if it is something that you do, I, th- I think the video is in total about 26 minutes, I think. So you know, it's, it's easily watchable at dinner, and um, you'll come out of a much better proposal writer in the process. And I want to share, too, you guys have done an amazing job at recapping best practices. Um, each year, our seem to recall reading an annual uh, review of best practices or most effective strategies. And you've in those documents shared tips about, you know, placement of where to put your investment 
tab and when to create a next steps tab. Uh, I'm interested, how do you source that detail? That all comes from um, aggregated data in your account. So we collate all of that. We essentially ask our database, if you like, um, our questions. So we'll be like, okay, does, you know, looking across, you know, the hundreds of thousands of proposals that are signed on an annual basis, you know, does it convert better if you have a video in there or not? Yes or no? Does it convert better if you send a proposal quickly versus, say, three to four days? Yes or no? And then we start to look at the percentages and the increases and things like that. So, you know, we, I think, came up with 70 or 80 different potential points this year. And some of them are negligible. There's, there's nothing there, so we don't report them. But um, the things that are stand out and the things that have moved the needle quite a bit and that are quite easy to do and quite easy to implement, we compile them in the report. So, um, I'm sure we can shove a link somewhere, but if you go to betterproposals.io forward slash reports, um, then you can see the last year's and, and uh, this year's or the one before, and you can compare the difference between the two. But there's there's um, some really, really good bits in there, but all of that comes from real data. So that's that's real live proposals that we've you know aggregated across, you know, as I say, hundreds of thousands of signed proposals to create... Um, you know, uh, a sort of a definitive answer, if you like, because, you know, to, this hasn't been done before, you know, to the best of our knowledge, there is, there is no, um, there is no way anyone's ever done this before because, you know, sales systems like this haven't been around that long, really. Um, and we've finally sort of been able to sort of get some of these questions answered. So, I mean, a simple example is if you send your proposal within 24 hours, you're 14% more likely to get it closed than if you send it within just three to four days, which is, on the face of it, totally reasonable, by the way, three to four days. Um, and it really just goes to highlight how important it is to strike while the iron's hot and to uh, capitalize on the uh, momentum that you created in the discovery and their excitement levels. So there's, that's just you know one of, I think, 17 things in that, in that report. It's, it's very much worth looking into. Absolutely. Now, I want to switch gears a bit. Adam, you're a massive lover of football, or as we would say here in the States, soccer, and attending music festivals. Have you learned from either of those activities things that apply to your business or vice versa? You know, I have actually. I was actually just uh, saying to a friend the other day how much I'm surprised at how much inspiration I get from from festivals. Um, So there's a a big festival over in Belgium, over in Europe um, called Tomorrowland and one of the things that really amazes me is the attention to detail that they put towards things that I'm pretty sure most people um, in the current state that they end up in would never notice and that sort of just it goes to remind it reminded me of just you know it really matters the details really really matter so you know making sure that you know, everything's on brand. That always matters. I mean, I ordered a pizza and the guy getting the pizza out of the pizza oven and Tomorrowland logo was in the bottom of the pizza because the, the scooper thing that he leaves in there is, is, in, is embossed with the logo. So you get a pizza with the logo on the bottom of the pizza. So you know when they see it, you're going to show it straight in your mouth. But it goes, it's just one of those little things that um, it's just details. And I kind of strive to put little details in to better proposals like that. Um, 
so that's always really cool. Um, in production and live shows always amaze me. I've always been super fascinated by that stuff. So I always try and do something cool when we sort of create a book or when we try and create, um, you know, when we write books or when we produce guides and things like that. We always want to do it in a really, really, really cool way. Um, and a lot of sort of like color inspiration and things like that as well sort of come from, come from festivals. But as far as football goes, um, I'm a goalkeeper. So I, on a good day, get hit by a ball. On a bad day, it misses me. So it's <laughs> strange life. Um, <laughs> but I suppose what you learn from football is, you know, 90 minutes is a long time. And you might be 2-0 down really quickly, but you stick to the basics of space and time, moving, pass the ball, move again, pass the ball, move again, create space, get yourself some time, then you can do what you want with it. And if as long as you stick to those principles, you're always going to be okay. And you know, obviously, there's the unpredictable, unpredictable nature of sport. Um, but it, it does, that again, it goes to just remind you that if you stick to the basics, you're always going to be all right. And it's sort of really easy when you know there's loads of chaos going on, or there's you know the everything's just going wrong, and it's not it's not good at all. Um, you can often find yourself sort of trying to do something strange or trying to do something to counteract that chaos. But in actual fact, what you really need to do is just go back to the basics. And the basics are the basics. They're the fundamentals. They're the thing that is what it is that you're doing. So all the time you stick to the basics and um, master them, you're pretty much always going to be okay. Spot on. Well, Adam, it's time for us to wrap up. What we like to ask our guests is, what does financial freedom mean to you? So on a scale of one being just getting started to 10, financially free, how far are you away from your goal? And is this even a goal for you? Uh, I'll answer the second part first. Um, It is. I don't know if I necessarily define it like that or think about it like that but for me it's just about choice you know can i do whatever i want to do do i look at the price of food when i order at a restaurant no you know if i want something i get it but you know that's that's 20 years of of running a half sensible business that 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 comes you know um how far am i away from my ultimate sort of financial goals as a part of being probably six, I guess, seven. I mean, doing well. But, you know, you like with any goal, you, you sort of start to get somewhere and then you always want to achieve more. I mean, one of the things that we've always said in our business is like when we get to 10 grand a month, when we get to 10 grand a month, I mean, it, it's like there's always that when we get to, when we get to. And that number just kept changing and changing and changing and changing. And now it's sort of just got silly. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's a moving goal. It always changes. Um, whenever you start to get close to achieving one thing, um, you generally tend to move the goalposts because otherwise you can't really be bothered anymore. So you've got to keep yourself motivated. And the easiest way to do that is just keep moving the goals. But I think, to be honest, like a, 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 a more different sort of goal for me really is just in, is enjoyment. You know, because if, if I can't enjoy what I've got now, then no point <laughs> you know <laughs> if i can't enjoy this now then, then what then what's the point so you know it's, it's about for me it's about learning to enjoy things no matter what they are 
Um, but so yeah, let me then, so, derail the question, but yeah. So let me then ask, on a scale of one to 10, where are you on the enjoyment scale? Um, I'm at the stage of sort of competent incompetence at this point. Um, I, I catch myself with my phone far too much. You know, it's just something we all probably do. Um, trying to mitigate that. So just trying to create little rules like no phones in the bedroom, that sort of thing. So sort of well, when I'm sleeping, um, <laughs> it sounded bad, didn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's little things like that. You know, it's just trying to enjoy moments rather than things. And trying not to have, you know, your instant gratification constantly being ticked because at some point we're all just moving the needle far too far away from, from what's possible. So, you know, if something's going to take six weeks to get here and it's something that I really want and I've ordered it, then cool, I'll wait six weeks. Like, don't get a lesser thing just because it's available on Prime, you know. Um, so it, it's little things like that for me. I mean, the, the money side of things, if you'd asked me four or five years ago, I would have had a very different answer. I would have given you probably a number. Um, but sort of having sort of been gone past that now, it's sort of a little bit more about enjoying moments and, um, yeah, not putting a square light in front of my face. Awesome, Adam. It was excellent time this morning chatting with you. I appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you very much for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Want to better understand your business, make better financial decisions, and also drive more profit? If yes, then understanding your numbers is key to achieving these goals. If you're like most business owners, you've never studied accounting, and you've never been taught how to really understand the critical numbers in your business, or how to use them to make effective decisions, grow revenue, improve profitability, and increase cash. That's why we created the Be Ninjas Know Your Numbers course. And here's what business coach Justine Cox shared about her experience with the training. I'm using zero for a while, but it really helped me to know the pieces of zero that I should focus on and, and how that can help me in my business. Understanding where the numbers are at in my business is the profit first principles and that cash flow management. I can stop worrying about money because now I know exactly what I've got to spend where. I am proud of the fact that I've actually started to put away some profit. So that's been amazing. So if you're someone who might be getting overwhelmed with the idea of going into your zero file and not really knowing knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, or you just want a simple way to understand zero and finances for your own peace of mind, our Know Your Numbers course can help. You'll have a rare chance to work closely with an accountant and also have the support of other like-minded business owners who are going through the program. Head to beninjas.com forward slash know your numbers to learn more about our course and register to receive updates about our next enrollment period. That's beninjas.com forward slash know your numbers or one word.